1: blue
0: wire
2: what is up nets fans welcome to brooklyn buzz i'm nick Faye. with me as always jack Manuel and jack we had a podcast what three hours ago we're doing another Come one up, right man. now nets picked up the w tonight over the new york knicks 116 109 just a really good day to be a nets fan how you feeling jack
3: Lol, remember when James Dolan said that he didn't want to give Kevin Durant the max? Lol,
2: bro, <laughs> lol. <laughs> I mean, Kevin Durant is just a joy to watch. We're going to talk about that, plenty of other stuff on today's show. But as always, you can find the Brooklyn Buzz on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, netserpoek.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But Jack, really impressive win with only nine players, given the trade and all the guys going out.
3: Dude, the Nets had nine players and they beat the Knicks. There's all this like, oh, they're above 500. they are already got the same record as the Brooklyn Nets. Dude, please stop being clowns. Tom Thibodeau, that penguin-ass-looking dude, Batman villain, playing Julius Randle 40 minutes, playing Mitchell, playing R.J. Barrett 38 minutes, and we've got dudes coming off the bench playing 25 minutes that are playing better than them. Look, Reggie Perry's locking down Julius Randle. We're bigger than the Knicks. That's my, that's my Knicks rant done. I'm not going to speak about the blue and orange for the next six months, because uh, we've got bigger fish to fry, and we'll get to James Hunt. Well, a little bit more the, at the end of the pod, but... The the energy was there from the outset, Nick, you know. I think that there was a a bit of like a, a malaise of sorts and actually yep. trying to find their footing, but from the second quarter onwards, uh they just didn't let up. Yeah, the
2: second unit, I thought, had some nice moments out there today, too. And like you said, in that second quarter, there was a stretch where they went on a run and they kind of created that separation, got that 10-point lead, and it really never looked back. Obviously, they only won by seven points, but that was mostly just window dressing. You know, the second unit gave up some easy buckets, allowed the Knicks to kind of get back into the game, but it never really felt like they had a chance after that second quarter.
3: No, I thought that they really hit the gas and uh, they were great offensively, led by Kevin Durant with uh, another masterful performance. You know, the ten of eighteen from the field, twenty six points, three or five from three, three or four from the free throw line, got six dimes, three boards, two blocks as well. What I really liked from him, Nick, and and I think that this was shown on the Yes Network, um, was the defensive highlight where he was guarding. I can't remember the player, but he's yelling out, "Stay home, stay home, stay home." I love seeing those little tidbits behind the scenes and it's showing again, as I alluded to on the last podcast, the leadership from Kevin Durant, absolute superstar.
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. I think you see the leadership there with the communication. Then also after plays telling guys, you know, mistakes they made, like where Bruce Brown had kind of that dumb foul on Emmanuel quickly when he already got beat and then he bumped them for no reason. You no, know, KD was just like, "Come on, you know better than that." So, I think, you know, KD just kind of helping this team be better and again, you know, he started off a little bit slow in terms of missing jump shots, but finished 10 of 18, 3 of 5 from 3, 26 points. Like, he's just a monster. You know, he's just, he he's just really tough to stop. There's just so many shots he puts up during a game where you're just like, "I don't even know what the defender does." Like, there was plays where Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson were essentially in his face. No problem.
3: Yeah, I I think that we're going to have to start doing like a regular thing on the buzz and do like our favorite Kevin Durant shot from from the game. Mine tonight was that pull-up three. like right in the face. It just, every single time I see it, it reminds me of him hitting that shot over LeBron James. And if he can hit over LeBron James, he's hitting it over anyone in the New York Knicks and probably 430 other basketball players as well. It's a, it's a work of art and it's something that I could watch day after day, after day, after day. It's just so damn pure. And, you know, it's it's hard to hard to forget that this dude came back from the worst injury. I oh, probably it's probably it's going to become uh, it, it, it tiresome and cumbersome hearing me say this every single podcast. But it's it's still shocking to think that he has come off the worst injury and he's performing at the level that we thought he was. On his first thought-
2: back to back too
3: on his first back-to-back and, and in the, uh, there was elements of rust but he's not going to be perfect you know he's Kevin yeah. Durant he's he I, I get I like upset I'm like oh man he missed that shot oh, I expect like if he goes less than like 55% from the field it's a bad night for KD and 55% from the field for anyone in the NBA is the best player in the league and yeah. right now he is doing that and he's playing like it and MVP level KD, but more than that, he is just leading this team and willing them to success.
2: Yeah, and defensively, I think he sets the tone too. He wants to take guys on, ISO. You know, Julius Randle got the better of him a couple times, but he came back in that second half. And he was ready for almost all of his moves. I think he swiped at the ball about five times and he got ball every time. And you saw Julius Randle kind of like confused, hesitating in the air and trying to just find the the closest nick to throw the ball to. And then also that block he had underneath the rim. That was beautiful stuff. That weak side rim protection, which we love getting that from KD. I mean, just it's a pleasure to watch him every night and it just doesn't get old and you know he was still running the show I thought Steve Nash did a little bit of better job tonight having more sets in place where it wasn't as dependent on him creating every piece of offense you saw him come off a lot of screens Joe Harris come off a lot of screens Landry Shamit so credit to Steve Nash too but Katie again one of the best basketball players I'll ever watch in my entire life
3: uh, there's the iconic picture that I can't remember it's probably NBA.com or somewhere someone off getting images that I put on my timeline of him sort of walking across the old school Nets logo and sort of the overhead shot like I'm going to make that my phone background and for those that haven't seen it scroll down my timeline at the JMA JBT it's art man and watching him play basketball is art it is Truly, It is truly a pleasure to watch the likes of these superstars and have one on your team. It, it's still, I still pinch myself, and I'm pinching myself literally right now, but the fact that we have this guy, and we've got uh, two other ones waiting in the wings as well, but Kevin Durant by himself is still uh, a one-man wrecking ball.
2: And I love the fact he only had to play 30 minutes tonight on that first yep. back-to-back, like we mentioned. Steve Nash did a nice job managing those minutes. Obviously, getting the big lead allows you to do that. Anything else you want to talk about in terms of KD, or should we talk about his friend?
3: Look, I thought KD was awesome in, in every single respect, Nick. I did want to mention the one little quote that he had after the game. And, you know, I thought it was a little bit cheeky for him. And, and Billy put this, Billy Reinhardt put this on his Twitter. Kevin Durant on the James Harden trade, he says with a smile, I'll wait till the deal's finalized to talk about it. I think KD's happy right now. And I think that we see... We saw everyone deserves to have, you know, their mood swings and feel some type of way about what their living and and work situation is. And towards in the Golden State, you could sort of tell that KD wasn't living his best life. And right now, it seems like to me, you know, he's chosen to be here, whether that's influenced by Kyrie or whether he's just like, you know what, I want to play for this team as well. And by himself, you know, he shows leadership Across the board, but it seems to me like every single podcast, we see a little snippet of it. You know, whether it's yeah. the Joe Harris tutelage, whether it's the Bruce Brown tutelage, as you mentioned too, or whether it's the defensive communication. You know, he wants to win. And he wants to win. And I think that if he is going to if he is gonna win with the Brooklyn Nets, It could be the greatest achievement of his career, and it's still a long way to go. But right now, the things that we thought would be question marks about his physical form are just like already put to the wayside after like 12 games, 13 games.
2: Yeah, it's really amazing. Like you said, on a scientific level, not even just a basketball level and what he's doing out there. I'm surprised you haven't brought up the fact that uh, during one of Joe Harris's shots, Kevin Durant yelled out buckets. Yeah, and, Joseph uh, he, Edward yeah. Buckets
3: as Iron Eagle would like to call him thank you very much Joseph Edward Buckets I want someone to like this probably like Spongebob next next depiction or somebody who's really good at the Photoshop online to just put like a monocle on Joe Harris and write Joseph Edward Buckets next to well, I might get my brother to do that because uh, <laughs> I ain't great at Photoshop but well we can I don't what to chat about Joe Harris just yet Nick but I think it's worth chatting about Bruce Brown next I know you want to probably get to DeAndre Jordan because it was so shocking his performance tonight but Bruce Brown with the double double including third boards, the highest of his career. I put it out on Twitter as well. He is an elite rebounder, and I think everyone is already petitioning to get his floater as the new NBA logo. Yeah, I
2: mean, this is why Sean Marks really made the trade, right? So Bruce Brown would get minutes. He had to open up the (laughs) (laughs) locker. No, but really, I mean, he was great. Great energy. It felt like he didn't miss a layup in that first half or a floater, whatever it is, in the paint. It was like locked down, including shots over Mitchell Robinson. And again, like you said, Jack, that rebounding was great. 14 boards for a guard, six offensive, like... He just gets in there, and you talked about his shoulders a lot in previous shows, and that just allows him to create space and just go up and get those boards, and guys are kind of bouncing off of him. So really love the play of Bruce Brown, and I think his role is even more important after the James Harden trade because of the stuff that he provides on the court.
3: Yeah, you need bold plays. You need guys to do little things when you've got the superstars that can do all the the, the their bags and array of tricks. You need the yep. guys to – Good off-ball to mover too. Incredible off-ball mover, incredible in transition. When the Nets are in transition and Bruce Brown is running, um, it, it's almost just like, you know, uh, uh, that's where he looks his best because he's yeah. able to attack the rim, use his physicality to get to the line or, or get a patent and floater. Steve Nash also mentioned this to Matt Brooks and the Nets media. I've been really impressed with his finishing, his floaters. Mm-hmm. He makes guys pay. He's been rebounding the ball tonight. He was exceptional with 14 boards, as you alluded to, Nick. Um
2: it's his finishing package is really really good like it, it, a lot of people look at it and be like oh you know he's just strong and he goes through contact no he's like able to hit layups at a lot of different angles like if d'angelo russell was still in the nets i wish he had this layup package because that yeah. would be a game breaker for him like this is it's a really good skill and like you said jack soon as he's in transition or gets downhill on a cut and he sees a guard in front of him he's creating contact and he's getting a layup and he's probably going to make it
3: yeah, he's super athletic as well for yep. a guy of, of his size and stature. You know, he's top-heavy in terms of just how big his shoulders are compared competitors like, Dwight Howard. But he's still incredibly quick and, and incredibly uh, um, uh, uh, agile. Sorry, I was trying to just just say... does a good job of go.
2: bending his knees and getting low.
3: Yeah, I mean, he, he just... He's a great athlete. He he,
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean,
3: look, his handle can be uh, uh, leaves a little bit to be desired, but he's not going to have to do a lot of that when you got James Harden coming in uh, at, at any moment soon. But yeah, truly great game from him. One of the best games that he's ever played. You know, probably his second best, na- best game after the game we saw last season, and we recap uh, that he played for the Detroit Pistons. But you know, his skill set is going to be immensely important alongside James Harden, Kyrie Irving when he does return. You know, I think he can be whether it's a, a coming off the bench or a fourth or fifth starter, uh, and I think he could be out there for closing lineups, if you want defense and offensive lineups, his role is only going to increase, especially after today's trade, and you know he's proven, and he's, he's going out there, and he's like, you know what, I want these minutes, and You know, every single time after he speaks to the media, I keep seeing these just wholesome-ass quotes from, like, Matt and Chris Mulholland and Alex Schiffer saying how, like, he thanks the media for talking to him. And it just makes my heart flutter, man. Like, we're just lucky to have, like, Caris Hood and Jared Allen are just awesome dudes. And and we mentioned that on the the pregame James Harden trade pod. But Bruce Brand seems to have, you know, a a really high-level character as well. And it just makes it so much easier to root for them at the same time.
2: Yeah. Uh, just the appreciation of others. You know what I mean? Realizing they're doing a job and taking the time to talk to him and they care about what he has to say. You appreciate that as a fan and you respect him even more. And also I think you love him too. It's just like the high energy he has. And it seems like all of his teammates love him too. You know what I mean? And that usually indicates that they're probably a pretty good person.
3: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I, I, he's a he's a good person on and off the court. And um. Sean Marks, you know, th- th- these are the sort of deals, these are the sort of acquisitions you need to make when you're building a championship contender. You need to get the bargain basement deals, you know, the vet minimum for Jeff Green, the whatever Bruce Brown is on for a second round pick and Jean Musa. you know, like uh, Patrick stealing from SpongeBob dresses mm-hmm. an old lady. You know, it's it, the TLC on on a really sort of small deal uh, yep. and and really awesome deal as well. Those are the deals that you need to make and need to have to fill out the roster, especially when you have three guys earning 115 million dollars, and you got you know Joe Harris on his big deal as well. Um, It's going to be and DeAndre as well, DeAndre at least on some cost control, Um, but. Yeah, it's it's good roster composition from Sean Marks, who's heading on like you know his fifth year as as a, as an executive for for the Brooklyn Nets, and you know he's he's turned this uh, franchise around. But yeah, Bruce Brown uh, is a quality quality get, and I know a lot of Detroit Pistons fans were were at to see him
2: go. Yeah, do you think Jack that? Uh Sean Marks at the time when he traded for Bruce Brown felt like he was going to get James Harden because at that time was when all the rumblings really started to pick up and we had the reports from Pooch saying that the deal was already kind of locked up. So maybe he's a better fit with this specific uh, group of Nets players that's going to be there in terms of Kyrie, James Harden, and Kevin Durant
3: you could certainly make the argument for it because he's his skill set and his secondary playmaking and just the ability to sort of you know be another guy out there you know i think he's it's it's certainly worth contemplating uh, either way, whether we had a retained carouser Jared Allen and, and there's no James Harden trade, I would have been disappointed if we didn't see, you know, increased minutes for Bruce Brown. Yeah, he's he started a, a large portion of his his career for Detroit, and I think he deserves to keep starting. I'm going to be interested to see, you know, whether he James Harden supplants him. It seems to me that one of the guys, whether it's Joe Harris or Bruce Brown, is probably the likely guy to go out. We can probably chat about that about a about that a little bit later but yeah Bruce Brown continuing to do awesome things and you know he is limited as an offensive player in terms of his three-point shooting uh, which is obviously an immensely important skill in the Brooklyn Nets offensive system but he does so many other things well that it makes up for that weakness.
2: And he does a good job of moving without the ball and keeping his defender active. And I think if he starts to develop a little bit more of a off-ball screens, too, setting for guys like Joe Harris or whatever it might be, you know, Andre Roberson, that's something he did really well, you know, in OKC when he couldn't knock down shots. So Bruce Brown, kind of look at some of that tape, maybe find something. But who who's next, Jack?
3: Uh, We're going to go to DJ, Nick. We're going to go to DeAndre Jordan, who it seems uh, Christian Whitfield made the awesome tweet. Seems to me that we traded Jared Allen and Carlos to, and we got DeAndre Jordan, the real DeAndre Jordan, back in return as well. It was a revitalized game for, for DJ.
2: Yeah, it felt like his season started tonight. and He played 28 minutes, and I thought it was good. Mitchell Robinson got the best of him early in the game. You know, he beat him on the box out, then got the easy dunk. And I think DJ was like, man. I'm supposed to be a mentor for this guy, or I was when I was in New York, and he's already busting my ass. Like, I need to pick my game up. And we saw him go at Mitchell Robinson and dunk on him in this game. And I really can't remember of DeAndre being aggressive and creating contact at any point in this season. Like, so props to him. I thought he was boxing out a little bit better than he has in the past, just a little bit more active, a little bit more communication. Had a couple nice passes tonight. And, you know, if he can play like this, it makes you feel a lot better about what the Nets have in the front court.
3: Yeah, looking at the situation and circumstances, it was all made and it's all there for De'Andre Jordan. Going up against your old team, you're getting the starting spot again. All of those external circumstances were made for him to impact. And if he wasn't gonna do it tonight, then there is no other time that yep. he was ever gonna be. And we would have considered him, you know, a, a cast off in terms of what the Brooklyn Nets need going forward. But yeah, I thought that there was the lob from the from Kevin Durant that really got things going. Seems to me he shows more athleticism then than any other time whenever there's a lob from KD or Kyrie. Wish we could see that on the on the defensive end as well sometimes. But he, you interesting know, he's to not... see his
2: chemistry with James Harden too moving forward because you know James Harden at times loves to run pick and roll not not as much recently but back when he had Capella that's something he liked to do. So I wonder if it'll work out with DJ.
3: Yeah, I mean we saw some decent moments with Christian Wood early in the season. Christian Wood is a far far superior player. Though. His catch radius be... is wild. Yeah, and, and look, Clint Capella, you know, you could certainly make some form of comparison to, to DeAndre Jordan. You know, I think both of them have great vertical athleticism and are limited. DeAndre probably more so, you know, um, laterally. But yeah, yep. for him tonight, you know, nine points, 12 rebounds, two assists, did have a couple of blocks as well. You know, we saw some of his patented Dimes. He loves to throw those out, but you know, he did never turn over. And I think that that's one thing as a team that the Brooklyn Nets did well, but especially DeAndre, just not forcing the issue, was able to get to the line. That post move and dunk was. Goddamn nasty and... you know Catching the ball too. Yeah, this isn't going to... Exactly. He had his hands ready. This isn't going to happen every night, Nick. And certainly we thought that Reggie Perry was at at points playing better minutes than he was and was able to hit a three ball, which was absolutely uh, insane. And it splashed. It wasn't like, you know, rattling around or anything. So I think that at this point in time, the net center rotation is okay. But... You whether Sean Marks is willing to make an upgrade with the likes of Dwayne Dedman or whether, you know, Nicholas Claxton comes back and sort of forces, you know, even more sort of, I think ultimately at the end of the day, the bro- the best version of the Brooklyn Nets is going to be with Jeff Green at the five.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I agree, Jack. I think unless Nick Claxton comes on the court and he looks great and he's just like taking major strides in his game, but even at then, it's still tough because as thin as Jared Allen was, you know, Nick Claxton's thinner. <laughs> And we we saw he has some toughness, but he can't bang with a lot of centers in the NBA, especially against guys like Joel Embiid or Nicole Jokic and things along those lines. So DeAndre still have his value. Hopefully he can kind of continue to play into shape. That's something we saw last year. By the midseason point, it felt like he was a different player than the first 10 games. And maybe that will happen again this year.
3: Yeah, definitely. You know, and I think it's worth talking about his backup, Nick, the, the rookie in Reggie Perry. Yeah. Sean Marks is damn good at drafting those centers. He knows how to get them, and it was he was one of the better players tonight for the Brooklyn Nets. You know, 11 points, five boards. He is aggressive, including two offensive ones, did hit a three-ball, five or seven from the field. He is limited in terms of his, his overall height and shot-blocking yeah. ability. I don't think he... He's gonna. He is as great a shot blocker as DeAndre. He's probably the worst shot blocker, maybe out of the big guys on our team, but he does make up for that in terms of if he can stretch the floor uh, out on the perimeter, and he, he does show really good post defense. I thought his his post defense on Julius Randle for the majority of the night was was really really good, uh, and, and the opportunities are going to be there. If, uh, I'm comfortable with him in the right matchups to keep giving him those minutes, um, even if James Harden and other trades are made. You know, he's proven himself to uh, earn some NBA minutes.
2: Yeah, I was really impressed. This was the first time that we saw him actually play like a real chunk of minutes in a game that mattered. And he impressed. Like you said, that three-point shot was good. I thought his defense on Randall was pretty good. You know, he's got to clean up showing his hands a little bit more. But, you know, and a great point, Jack, about the shot blocking, that was something that I instantly saw. I think RJ Barrett drove on him and he essentially did nothing to it. If you're not going to be able to have that type of uh, verticality or be able to get up, You're going to have to be really good at your positioning. You know, you're going to have to get to the spot before we get there. And that's going to be tough to do as a rookie. But I think there'll be opportunities for him to play against some weaker centers, especially on some second units. And like you said, if he can space the floor, that opens up a lot of things offensively. I'd be intrigued to see how he does on switches because he did such a nice job on Julius Randle, who is relatively athletic for a forward. It's not like he's like super athlete, but he did a good job staying in front of him.
3: Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, give them the opportunities and sort of see, I think that right now what the Nets need to find out is what they have in their sort of rotation players. And I think that, you know, that's Diondo Jordan, that's Reggie Perry, that's TLC, that's Landry Schammer, that's Chris Chiosa, all these sort of dudes and giving them the opportunity to prove themselves or not prove themselves and disprove themselves. That's going to be key for the Brooklyn Nets finding a semblance of success and finding, you know, six to eight in the rotation.
2: Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about BlueWire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at BlueWire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle's the perfect place for you.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: As part of the program, you'll see personal cover art, Q and A's with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and e-learning courses full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part? It's only fifteen dollars—the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle's an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance in the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply. go to bwhustle.com slash join check out the description box for this episode to find out more but that's bwhustle.com
3: slash join but nick i know that uh, you th- threw it to me and i saw it as well we saw a front court of kevin durant reggie perry and deandre jordan what was going on there yeah that was crazy just one more point
2: on reggie perry real quick though uh he is thick and oh, yeah. you, you can feel it on the court because guys are bouncing off of him and especially rebounding. I think I throw this over to you, too. Is just like that lower body is so big that like his hips, his butt, like he's just able to box people out and create space. And I think that's like a real area that helps the Nets in the rebounding department. But uh, back to what you were saying in terms of the lineup in which we saw DeAndre, Perry and KD. I mean, that's one, That's one the biggest Nets lineup. I don't know when the last time I saw a lineup that big from Brooklyn, if ever. I don't know if the Brooklyn Nets have ever put up a lineup that big. You have three, two guys that are seven-footers and one that's like 6'9", and the weight's out there too. Really interesting adjustment from Steve Nash. I thought it was the right move to run with it for a couple of minutes, especially with the way Julius Randle was playing. You know, take some of the load off Kevin Durant so he doesn't have to bang with him so much. So I like the creativity, and that's something that we've been pushing for.
3: Yeah, I think a- – Listening to just some general NBA pods, a lot of them are like, what's going on with the Brooklyn Nets? And I understand where they're coming from. But if you're looking at it from the other perspective, it's just like, well, let's try some things here. We need to see what we've got in these guys, what we've got in these lineups. And the best time to do it is at the start of the season. And I think there's going to be more experimenting from a lot of teams this year than any other because – they're going to have to. You know, we've had to with with Kyrie Irving, um, Tyler John, TJ out um, and Kevin Durant out for, for periods as well. There's going to have to be experimentation and Steve Nash has shown a willingness to do that, especially of late. I think his coaching has been much, much better than early season performances and I think he's He's learning, he's he's asserting himself and his identity on this team and, and leading this team in his own way. Not necessarily taking away the reins and leading rah, rah, rah like Tom Thibodeau does, but establishing himself as the coach of this team. Um, whereas in previous you know previous games were like what's he doing why is he calling timeouts why is he still sitting down why isn't he arguing these calls you know other than the trey young early season where he's sort of saying that's not basketball there were many there were many times where it's just like what's steve nash doing do something steve come on steve and now he's throwing out all these different sort of things and i'm all for it especially when you've got nine guys out there you know, you don't want to overwork guys because we're seeing injuries, you know, really yep. increase. And obviously, it's going to happen if you have nine guys in there. I thought the minutes allocation was on perfect, and I think a lot of that does come down to the players being able to give themselves a nice little buffer. Like you know, the old teams of like the old dominant teams and the Chicago Bulls and Golden State Warriors, the best way to rest is during games, not necessarily but yep. resting a back-to-back. Kevin Durant's going to play a lot of back-to-backs if he's going to lead the team to 15-point leads, you know, in the second, third quarter.
2: Yeah, I agree. I thought Nash's coaching was really apparent tonight. I saw him shouting things offensively defensively pointing guys in the right direction kind of helping them know there was one play where he knew exactly where Emmanuel quickly was going to go. And he told Reggie Perry so Reggie Perry could slide over. It was really cool stuff. And that's like where you're seeing Nash's basketball knowledge on full display, especially having that point guard experience. And like I said, I thought there was a couple more sets tonight and also a lot of great timeouts in this game in terms of like the Knicks were getting momentum. Let's slow that down. Let's take a look at what we're doing, get our guys back in and take care of this game.
3: Do you think that the, the quote from Kevin Durant was sort of the turning point you know, in general, from the second half from the last game against Denver? Do you think, obviously, we talked about turning points, you know, sort of saying that, you know, us playing defensively, that was the turning point for us. But do you think for Steve Nash individually, you know, Kevin Durant was sort of saying in halftime, he was the only voice. We were looking at the film, we were seeing what we were doing wrong, seeing what we were doing right. Do you think now we are going to see, you know, less criticism? And, and if the criticism does come, you know, it's not going to be from things that he's not doing. You know, it seems to me that... What I love in a coach is proactivity You know, yeah. in any sort of form of teaching, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a sports coach, whatever it is. If you're trying things and they don't work, then you can sort of go, okay, well, this isn't going to work today. I can try something else. And Steve Nash seems to be doing that more often, throwing out these wacky lineups, showing these different rotations out there. And I think it's, le- it's allowing, like we mentioned, to give the players the tools to succeed because you know, there aren't going to be many nights when you have nine players, you know, we're seeing the Miami Heat, the Philadelphia 76ers, these sort of teams, where you have a, such a depleted rotation that you're going to win games. And the New York Knicks, despite all the shade that I threw at the start of the podcast, have been performing well. They've been doing really well defensively. You know, Julius Randle's been playing like a madman. So I think this is a really, really good win, Nick.
2: Yeah, obviously, and you want to win the hometown game. You know what I mean? You're facing a crosstown rival. You want to pick up the W, especially all the trash they've talked. And you see all the stuff on the headlines and saying the Nets are never going to be the Knicks, blah, blah, blah. But like you said with Steve Nash, I think – He's just getting more comfortable being a head coach, too, or maybe a switch just hit in his head, realizing, like, I have to be more active. This team needs me to be more active. And kind of similar to how we talk about Kevin Durant giving guys confidence and, you know, pushing them forward. I would envision Steve Nash doing something similar. You know what I mean? Like, Steve Nash is an all-time great. He's a Hall of Fame point guard, one of the best point guards I've ever watched. And a lot of these guys looked up to him, too. So getting confidence from Steve Nash could only, is only going to help your game.
3: Yeah, the the knowledge that he can impart is probably greater than many a head coach in the NBA. And there is there's a lot of pros and cons to being like, whether it's a lot of the great coaches in history have been like the role player types because they understand how to manage the rotation and understand what's going on in the heads of the guys in 12 to 15. You know, yep. Steve Kerr is is a great example of that and, and all these other sort of, you know, role player coaches. Whereas the superstar coaches, you generally think, okay, well, I know what it's like to lead a team. I know what it's like to get all the minutes. Can I empathize with the guys that are um, lower in the rotation? And we've heard in season part and in the preseason, that's what Sean Marks and a key reason why he hired Steve Nash. So, yep. look, I think his understanding of how to be a head coach is developing before our eyes. And it's not to say that we're not going to have the criticism where criticism is due. We've criticized him plenty on this podcast, but he deserves the plaudits where the plaudits are deserved. And right now he is coaching very well. If uh, There's only going to be bigger challenges to come um, going forward. Um, the, the, uh, the reacquisition of Kyrie Irving, you know, acclimating James Harden to, to his systems and and everything. It's going to be fast. And just other
2: hiccups you're going to do without throughout the year. Like you said, with the COVID stuff, with injuries you're going to face, like, and, different things are going to happen and, you know, this is a good test and hopefully he just kind of continues to grow.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, that full kudos to to Steve Nash and what he's been doing, Nick. Um, We'll finish up with the rest of the stars before we get to the bench, Jeff Green and Joe Harris. Do you, are are these probably the fourth and fifth most important Brooklyn nets going forward?
2: Yeah, I think that's pretty fair to say. I think Joe Harris is definitely the fourth given he's probably the fourth most talented player on this team now, right? Like, Yeah. Yep. Uh, unless you want to make an argument for Nick Claxton, but he has to prove that on the court. Uh, Jeff Green. Yep. You know what I mean? Like he's provides that versatility, being able to play forward, penalty center heard essentially what feels like one through five at times and tonight he was hitting his shots and he gives you that rebound he gives you that switch ability and occasionally he'll pull something out of his bag and drop a drop a nice bucket on somebody's head i think he did it to rj barrett tonight or I it was was rj barrett yeah and rj barrett was just like bro what just happened to me (laughs) so it's always cool to see that from jeff green and he just is a guy that can help the team, and he understands how to play basketball. Like a lot of the sets, they were hitting him in the ball on that on the elbow, and he was kind of hitting either KD or hitting Joe Harris.
3: Yeah, and his three ball has been on as well. Yep. Whenever the ball gets in his hands, you know I'm relatively confident. It's just like yep, this is going to go in at least half the time or 40 percent of the time, and, and that's you know something you want out of your role players, especially. You know there are a few teams in the NBA that can boast a, a small ball five that can do what Jeff Green does. You know he's got a, a great skill set and is a great vet. Um, and has helped establish the identity of this team in a lot of ways. He's going to be incredibly important, especially with the departure of Jared Allen. You know, yeah. I think that you know what he does as a wing, what he does as a defender, and how he solidifies and puts everything together like as a glue for this team, uh, I think is going to be incredibly important. And Joe Harris, well, I mean, Joe Harris does Joe Harris things. 15 yeah. points for him tonight, 3 of 8 from 3, 6 of 13 from the field. That hezzy, yeah. oh my god. God, he
2: dropped him big time. Yeah. And you know what's funny is like it doesn't happen without Joe Harris being so strong because I feel like he he just like kind of created a little bit of contact and the guard and quickly just didn't know what to do there. So it's yeah. just like damn. And I felt like the Knicks did a pretty good job of pushing Joe off the three point line on a lot of his catches, forced to shoot more mid range shots than he probably wanted to, but he was able to hit a couple tonight and was able to hit a couple threes tonight. So Joe Harris just doing his things. I thought his defense was good tonight. I like the Nets defensive game plan. It was mad disrespectful. But uh, like our boy Matt Brooks put on Twitter, they just were not guarding the three-point line. They're like, if the Knicks are going to shoot hot from three, they can do it. We know they have no good three-point shooters. And that's essentially what happened and allow the guys to be in really good position and play their game. And I think it also kind of hurt the Knicks' confidence to an extent.
3: Yeah, that that disrespect was was very evident, and I think that's the the Nets generally do defend better against teams that don't have good perimeter threats. You know, the Atlanta Hawks are a team that probably comes to mind. The Washington Wizards; these teams that can hit the shots on the perimeter are going to put up buckets on the Brooklyn Nets, and it just makes everything easier defensively. It gives you an extra step um, to to switch and you can and help so much more. Yeah, and and on Joe Harris again, Nick. It seems to me he's just taking shots now. You yeah. know, he's not, he's not just like, all right, I'm going to – I need to take a three here or I need to take a lap. He's just like, you know what, this is the shot I've got. I'm going to shoot it. Um, he's you know, a shooter, not
2: a three-point shooter anymore.
3: He is. Like, the, his first shot of the game was a long two. Yeah. Like, Kenny, Kenny Atkinson Atkins would have –
2: I would have cried.
3: <laughs> yeah, he would have benched him for that. But, you know, it seems to me that he's becoming not just a, a favorite of ours, obviously been a favorite of ours for a very long time, but, you know, he's – I think Kevin Durant's loving him more by the day. He just, yep. He's just, you know what, I can give this this guy the ball, and he's going to shoot it, and he's going to hit it, um, and I think it's gonna that... It's going to be
2: pretty funny when you have Kyrie, Joe Harris, James Harden, Kevin Durant on the floor.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Like, I i I'm, I'm, i am mean, who knows what's going to happen with Kyrie Irving. You know, we could see James Harden by the weekend. Um, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit, but before we do, Nick, we chatted a little bit about Reggie Perry, but... Some of the bench were were pretty damn good as well. We saw, you know, Landry Schammett get a bit of a groove from three. TLC did his pesky little things but doesn't know how to close out. Uh, And Chris Chioza had one of the passes of the season.
2: Yeah, I mean, that was a Jason Kidd level pass. That was amazing. I, I thought, you know, that was just the type of thing that Chioza can do that I don't know if anybody else in the Nets really can do. He just has that instinct for passing. I think at other points in the game, you know, he was okay defensively against the Knicks guards, had a couple rebounds. Just really tough for, tough for him to score in isolation situations. And I think the Nets just need to take the ball out of his hands. Like, there's no reason he should take the last shot to end a quarter. It's just too easy for teams to defend him. And he tried to cut Mitchell Robinson a couple times, and I was just like, why, my guy? He's literally like almost, he's like a foot and a half taller than you almost, and he's got a crazy wingspan
3: invert. Yeah, I think when Chris Joseph looks his best is when he is penetrating and then kicking out. Yep. He's got a great handle, and he did that a couple of times tonight. And he obviously, can whip except- the ball. He can whip the ball like no one else's business. Um, And, you know, seven assists for him tonight. Did hit that three ball, which was his only points. Had a a couple of steals and a block. You know, I thought that his game was good. I I think that it's going to be him and Tyler Johnson that are going to be providing some... Backup facilitation minutes because when you got James Harden and Kyrie Irving, those guys are gonna. I would like to see some staggering, but we can obviously yeah, we'll be analyzing that yep. and then some going forward. But yeah, tonight for him was great, and, and I'm and I'm really really great I'm grateful to see that you know he's still got some moments out there because he's a fan favorite and and we love cheese and we don't just love the food, we love the player as well. But he um, did have a nice
2: but, energy burst too when he first came to the game and trying to like set the offense up and get things running a little bit more smoothly because like we've talked about, he's really the only pure point guard on the team.
3: Yeah, and I think that there was uh, the the nets were in need of just a, a guy to create for others tonight. Yeah, and seven assists. Sort of, yeah, he sort of set the tone there, and then allowed everyone else to sort of get things going. It opened up the floor a little bit more, and it just created an energy and a flow that allowed the, the nets to get into a groove, which which allowed them to really you know uh, make their mark on this game. But Nick Landry shamet obviously three nine from the field, did get to the free throw line a couple of times tonight. Had five assists. What were your thoughts on his game? Do you think that he's starting to get into some form a little bit? He's going to be important now with the departure of and Prince, Karis Avert, and Jared Allen. You know, he's going to be getting some rotation minutes now.
2: Yeah, I thought he looked a lot more, a little bit more spry tonight. I thought he got more elevation on his jumpers too, on his three ball. And I'm not just talking about the actual shot, like himself jumping in the air. I thought he was just, just a little bit more explosive, and he came like just a little bit more locked in. And like you said, maybe it's realizing like, hey, I'm going to have a bigger role in this team. And if he's going to come off screens the way he did tonight, that's going to be a huge factor for the Nets in the second unit. That at times could have issues scoring, depending on how they stagger minutes. And you love the five assists. I thought it was is probably his best game as a net, maybe second best. You know, the other one obviously didn't miss a shot, but I thought overall in the scheme of things, he had some really good uh, plays out there
3: no definitely and I think that when Tyler Johnson is back it's going to allow him as well to sort of be a a sort of secondary facilitator with the second unit you know he looks better alongside Chioza he looks better when he doesn't have to have the ball in his hands a lot you know when he's not asked to to be you know and I think that a a, a guy of his ilk and not necessarily alongside Bruce Brown because he's limited as well more so than Chioza and Tyler Johnson as shot creators for himself and others so I'm I'm intrigued to see how he continues to progress but this is a good step going forward and hopefully he can take this momentum you know he was plus one you know one of the uh, few bench performers that was positive in the plus minus so a good game from him and hopefully he can take it going forward but <laughs> nick i gotta get this quote to you before i do forget alex schiffer kevin doran takes one look at his post game zune quote there's a lot more people in here today
2: <laughs> <laughs> i wonder why i wonder why Katie.
3: but yeah I- and- yeah, he, he did also say, um, it's not uh, to repeat himself, uh, as I alluded to at the start of the pod, he said, I know that's not even finalized yet, I'll talk about it another time on the James Harden um, trade, and we'll probably get to that a little bit, but Nick, any other things you wanted to touch on in this game? I really like the fact that the turnovers were just way down.
2: Yeah, I just want to talk about TLC a little bit. I think he's just getting a lot more comfortable. You know, it's going to be growing pains watching him try to develop as an offensive player. But he's starting to get a little bit better handles. He's starting to be able to drive to the rim a little bit and not look completely out of control. We saw him hit the pump fake and then the mid-range shot tonight. Obviously, that closeout. Was pretty terrible, and it's just to the point where he closes out straight on the shooter. Where you have, if you're gonna close out that hard, you have to run past the shooter, stick your hand out, and then pull it back, or just don't close out that hard because the Knicks don't have any elite three-point shooters. So
3: no, you're not closing out Stephen Curry, my dude. It's it's yeah, it's a bit silly. He did it against Memphis as well, uh, or was that Tony and Prince? I can't remember, but no, yeah, I think he's it was, done
2: uh, it. TLC, yeah. I think it's probably yeah. like his third or fourth time doing this season.
3: Yeah, he's done it a couple of times this season. And I think it's a relatively easy remedy. You know, watch some film with the assistant coaches and and get that ish out of your game. But yeah, the, the stat to me, Nick, you know, we talk about turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. You know, tonight, the Nets only had six of them. And, you know, the Knicks have been a, a pretty pesky defensive team and have created a lot of their offense through their defense. But tonight, the Nets are just taking care of it.
2: Yeah. And I mean, they sent a lot of doubles in this game at Kevin Durant. And he mentioned after the last game that he hasn't been used to getting trapped as much because that's not something he practiced in rehab. Well, tonight he looked fine handling it. So just kind of getting some of that rust off. And like you said, Jack, if the Nets are going to take care of the ball, like their offense is so good that they're going to win a lot of games if they have under 10 turnovers.
3: Big time. Yeah, I think that it's it's going to be interesting to see James Harden, another high-usage player, Kyrie Irving, how these guys sort of come back into it, you know, it's it's quite easy when you have just Kevin Durant there, it's just like alright, let's just throw it to KD, yep. but now you've got other guys to sort of do that and you know it, it's going to be fascinating to see the acclimation of all these superstar pieces, but yeah I think the turnovers are really good, the Nets are rebounding the ball quite well, and I think a lot of that was Bruce Brown, Reggie Perry, you know, a, a really great activity there, they were able to get in transition well, and obviously force bad shots, you know, the, yep. it's not like the, the Knicks played poorly, you know they still shot 48% from the field The nearly over 39% from three. It's just that they protected the paint quite well, you know, only allowed 12 free throws. So I think that, yeah, the Nets did a lot of things right tonight. Zero pass
2: uh, break points for the next two.
3: Yeah, I think that the, their um, transition defense was certainly on, um, and, and I think that the, the Nets did a lot of things right, and a lot of things that they uh, hold as their key sort of performance indicators, and uh, if they continue to do this against teams going forward, um, that uh, adding in the likes of James Harden and Kyrie Irving uh, will be a lot more seamless.
2: Yeah, 100%. The energy just felt really good tonight. Maybe that's something with the James Harden trade and the team being excited. Who knows? Or facing the Knicks or coming off a win last night. Or maybe, you know, former net it hurts me to say this, Karis LeVert saying that he <laughs> felt like they got the groove in the second half yesterday. Yeah, I know. We could cry in this podcast right now. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. But it, it just the energy and the vibe of the team definitely felt different. And like when they went on that run in the second quarter, it just felt like the game was over. And that's just the type of team that they can be moving forward, especially when they get all their stars back.
3: The question's always going to be about the defense as well, Nick. So it's yep. going to be interesting and to see.
2: Like you said, Jack, it's a little—it's a lot easier to play defense when they don't have shooters.
3: Yeah, it, it, exactly. Exactly. It's going to come, become much harder against the likes of the Milwaukee Bucks um, in the coming days, actually. That game's coming up really soon. It's going to be you know, a, a fascinating matchup for, for the Brooklyn Nets. Nick, let's get to some James Harden stuff and some Kyrie Irving stuff. I wanted to bring hey, just up. a
2: quick uh, reminder. If you want to hear a really deep dive on James Harden, we recorded a podcast before this which you can find on all streaming platforms. We're going to talk about James Harden every single day moving forward at this point because now he's a yeah. Brooklyn net.
3: <laughs> yeah, now he is a Brooklyn net. Nick there's a couple of things I wanted to bring to you. The, the Jared Allen and Carol side of things. Uh, hardwood paroxysm on Twitter. The Nets, the Nets' net rating with Allen on the floor is plus 10.5. Without him was minus 1.4. With Jordan was minus 1.4. And without Jordan is plus 7.6. How can the Nets remedy the loss of their best defensive player?
2: Yeah, I mean, some of that is just DeAndre has to play better. Like, he was just really bad in that first stretch of games. And if he starts to play at the level in which he played tonight those splits are going to get a lot closer. Then also, you know, just the rest of the team stepping up. You know, Bruce Brown being in there for a larger chunk of minutes. Jeff Green, you know, starting to develop some of these defensive principles is going to be important and really develop that cohesion as a team. You know, they're not going to replace Jared Allen. Like, he's a really good defensive player. There's not a lot of Jared Allens in the NBA right now. So you're not going to, be able to replace him. It's about doing it as a team and finding things that work for you.
3: Yeah, and, and I think that they need to find what their new defensive identity is. And, yeah, and I th- and like you sort of mentioned, you know Reggie Perry, Claxton, DeOndo Jordan, these guys as the second, third, and fourth centers on the roster, and obviously Jeff Green. You know, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with the the, the small ball lineup with Jeff Green at the five. I think that the Nets all do quite fine out there, and I think James Harden as well is going to do well in the switching style of system. Nick, I wanted to also bring to you, Jared Allen or Kharisov. Who is the bigger loss for the Brooklyn Nets? Because We've seen Jared Allen be maybe the third best Brooklyn net this season. Karis Levert is obviously the, th- was the, th- I can't, it hurts me to say was, was the third most talented Brooklyn net on this roster. Who do you think is going to, whose loss is going to hurt the Brooklyn Nets more?
2: Yeah, I think in this trade, you're getting James Harden, a guard. Karis Levert was a guard. James Harden is a better guard than Kyrie Slavert. So I think the easy answer is Jared Allen. Because like I said, there's not necessarily a ton of Jared Allens in the league. And I'm not sure if anybody can replace that skill set. Like I said, maybe Nick Claxton could really pop off. But still, I'm not sure he has the same physicality that Jared Allen has developed over the last couple seasons. And DeAndre is just kind of a couple steps low. So I think they're going to miss Jared Allen. Like Like you said, Jack, they're going to have to find new ways to defend because he was such a big part of defending the rim for them.
3: Yeah, and we saw, you know, glimpses of it tonight in terms of their ability to keep people out of the paint, but, you know, it's oh, going to be hot.
2: Wouldn't be surprised if they start trapping a little bit more, a little bit more double teams and trying to force the other team to make plays and making them uncomfortable and rely on some of that team cohesion and hustle plays, especially like we have with Bruce Brown and guys like that.
3: Yeah, Jacques Vaughn's going to be earning his paycheck as the defensive yeah. coordinator for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Reggie Perry, Nick. We I should have asked this when we we're talking about his game tonight. Do you think there's a chance, rather than going after a Dwayne Denman, a Yarn Mahimi, that he gets converted from his two-way into a, a, a normal, regular NBA contract?
2: Yeah, I think that's a real possibility. And then they could bring somebody else in the two-way contract. If they feel really comfortable with Reggie Perry and they want him to be on essentially their playoff roster too and he earns that spot, I don't think the Nets will do it right away. I think they'll kind of make him earn it. You know, they've done that a lot in the past. Like with TLC, he went from being the two-way and then he earned that that regular contract. I think the same thing happened with Theo Pinson as well. So it's like, if you play well enough, you're going to get the contract. I don't think they'll just give it to him, but he's on the right track right now. And based off all the reports and stuff we heard from, from camp, it seems like the team really likes him.
3: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, he proved it a little bit in the preseason. And, you know, he did it against NBA caliber players. And, you know, Mitchell Robertson, Julius Randle, these guys are, are good players. And, you know, he certainly didn't look didn't look out of place. Uh, no, no He has doubt about a good understanding
2: that. of who he is in terms of his layup package. He doesn't try to, like, dunk on people or go at them. And he uses the angles of the hoop and gets it off the backboard. And it's like, hey, I might be undersized, but I understand how to play and I can use my body to create space
3: we got the KD approval as well via Matt Brooks. Love what Reggie brought today. We've got a dog. Reggie <laughs> plays like a seasoned vet. He does. He's you know, out. It and it's
2: really crazy. I just don't even understand why he's already like this competent with. And like, you know this, Jack, because you talk to me more than almost anybody in terms of basketball. I had a lot of concerns about rookies this year with the lack of training camp, no summer league, and not just getting some of those practices in with your teammates. And he looks good. And I think his physicality could be an element that really helps the Nets.
3: Yeah, his general competitive desire is a skill. You know, it's it's something like a a Montrezl Harrell. You know, yeah. that can be a skill that can separate you from being, you know, oh. you know that hunger, desire, want to get the board and, and, and want to make the block. And obviously, you know, he has some limitations, but you know, we'll see him get more opportunities than we probably expected him. You know, uh, beforehand, Nichols listen to Bobby Mark chat to Woj a little bit on his pod. And he thinks that Kyrie <laughs> he was Irving, having nightmares.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, look,
3: uh, <laughs> uh, look, I think that um, we can take everything with a grain of salt with with Bobby Marks when it comes to these large scale trades. But he mentioned that Kyrie he expects Kyrie Irving to play more off the ball. At the start of this season, we saw KD play more off the ball, and Kyrie Irving was probably you know, I haven't looked at the stats, but probably had a higher usage and was creating his own shot. How do you, do you think he's going to have the toughest time acclimating, or do you think it'll be James Harden?
2: Yeah, it's really tough to say. It depends on the coaching staff and the relationship of all these guys. I think Kyrie's game is could fit better off ball and he's more used to it because I remember when the Nets first acquired him, we did some deep dives on that, looking at some of the stats from Boston and his catch and shoot numbers were great. And there are opportunities to run him off screens and things along those lines. And James Harden, you know, at the end of the day, is a better player than Kyrie Irving. And he's better with the ball in his hands. You know, he might not be the same level of score, but in terms of playmaking and efficiency and what he's done over the last couple of years, and he's shown the ability to carry that workload through an entire season, I think it probably makes more sense to have James Harden on, on ball a little bit more. And I think Zach Lowe brought that point up when the Nets were first discussing a possible James Harden trade where he felt like it said it made the most sense to have James on ball, Kyrie and Katie off ball. And I think also just like Kyrie on a catch and shoot, and like he, him attacking a closeout, like that's just not even fair.
3: Yeah, and look, you could send the chain for James Harden because you yeah, know, he's going to get to the line. So I think that now is when we're going to see some coaching from Steve Nash in terms of being able to get sets for all of those guys. And even if Kyrie Irving doesn't like him, according to some weird blogger without the blue tick out there, um, I think it's that Steve Nash. Yeah, funnily enough, well, well surprise, surprise, there, um, Nick. We've seen and I'll say other... this
2: about uh, Kyrie too, and I saw someone brought this up. I forget who it was, but it made a lot of sense. And they said, you know, Kyrie can essentially be the six man. Like he'll stagger his minutes and he'll lead those second units and be on the floor by himself sometimes so he can get all the shots that he wants.
3: No, I think that that's a, a really, really good idea. And, you know, playing him with like Landry Shaman and, and some of these other dudes, Andrew Bruce Landry and Joe Harris. <laughs> yeah, it, there's going to be you know, a, a bevy of riches, you know, for, for the Brooklyn Nets right now when he does return. Spe- um Speaking of that, Nick, I guess we're, we're on the topic. We heard Mike Breen today. I didn't hear it, but I heard other people sort of reporting the fact that he expects Kyrie Irving to return soon. Shams also reported that, you know, he thinks that the, the return is, is on the horizon as well. You know, we heard about Stephen A. Smith saying he should goddamn retire, um, <laughs> but um, he's probably trying to just get some takes for his new ESPN show, arguing with the baby version of himself. <laughs> but what are your thoughts on on the impending return of Kyrie Irving, and when do you expect it to happen?
2: I honestly have no idea. I'd lie. I'd be lying if I told everyone I knew when he's going to return. I mean, I think he's going to return based off of what we've seen and based off his other actions in the past. Uh, I'm a little bit confused by the situation, like we've kind of discussed on previous shows. You know. He's out for personal reasons, but he was also at his sister's birthday party at a large gathering, not wearing a mask. So it kind of sends two different messages out there. And I'm not saying if you're out for personal reasons, you can't enjoy yourself in any way whatsoever, but you still need to practice you know, safety during this pandemic. So I'm kind of just waiting to see what Kyrie Irving has to say and waiting for a statement to really give my full judgment or not even judgment or just my observation of the whole situation.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's... I, when we heard Jared Allen I think with Yahoo Sports sort of saying that like, you know, he has the support and it seems to me that, you know, even Michael Grady was echoing those sentiments. So from the people that matter, it seems to me that Curry has the full support of his teammates. It's just going to be interesting to see whether, you know, that support is, is still there going forward, given the actions that he has shown uh, recently as of late. But look, I've criticized him enough and I'll continue to criticize him if he continues to show dangerous and reckless actions like he did um, in in the indoor birthday uh, for his sister uh, without masks. But hopefully we see him in the next week or two. You know, it's now no longer, like we mentioned in the last episode, up to the Brooklyn Nets. It's going to be up to the NBA, whether he's going to get fined game checks if he's uh, breaching protocols. Expect something
2: on Friday. That's when a big, big media or like, the NBA, the NFL, they want to announce a suspension because on Friday the weekend's coming, so it kind of gets swept under the rug a little bit. Don't be surprised if you hear it on Friday.
3: News dump alert. Yeah, Nick. Exactly. Overall, <laughs> yeah, overall, I'm looking at a different couple of websites, you know, to grade the trade as uh, <laughs> a lot of as a lot of um, websites tend to do. Kevin Pelton gave it a D on the Brooklyn Nets side. I sort of B-minus, I think, from Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated. If you are grading this trade for the Brooklyn Nets side of thing, what letter would you give it?
2: Yeah, I think uh, it's really hard not to do anything in the A range because he's a superstar player. At the end of the day, like – and we're, we gave up a lot of players but the lakers just gave up a ton of players and picks and brandon ingram is better than karis and jared allen and it hurts me to say that but it's the truth you know what i mean like he he's a potential to be possibly a superstar himself so like and i'm not saying james harden is better than anthony davis but he's pretty damn close to being in that tier if not slightly behind him so i think you'd have to go with probably an a minus so you know maybe b plus if you're feeling concerned about the picks not having protections but it's, it's a bigger picture thing. If we're not going to hate on the Clippers for trading all those picks for Paul George, like you can't hate on the Nets for trading all these picks for James Harden, who is a better player and their team is better than what the Clippers could be with just a duo because the Nets have a trio.
3: Yeah, I I think B-plus is probably what comes to mind. You know, I'd lean towards B because I like sure. job. Uh, yeah, it's risky, and I just love Jared Allen and Kairosavirt so much, and I thought that they had a championship nucleus already and they were working into that, but that's something that we'll we'll continue to see as it goes going forward and how much this is an upgrade over what could have been with Kairosavirt, Torian Prince, um, and Jared Allen, but it's something that we'll have to sort of see. I don't know, Nick. There's still a part of me that's uneasy about it, but I'm sure once I see James Harden, the black and white, putting up 30-point triple doubles alongside Kyrie Irving, um, it's going to be fascinating It's going to be insane. <laughs> it's gonna be crazy. This this league is just goddamn crazy, and I think that in in a way the Sixers forced Sean Marks in the Nets' hand because it seems to me that they were willing to give up Ben Simmons. And I've mentioned this on a preseason pod that it's gonna be the the best form of the the best asset that the Nets have is their picks that they have in hand. and the the protections that they can give or not give. And a lot of them and all of them are unprotected as well as the swaps and such. But I think that they could have given up one more pick, uh, if I'm not mistaken, if I saw that somewhere. So I think they could have given
2: up one more swap.
3: One more swap. So yay, one (laughs) swap. I don't know. But yeah, it's going to be crazy, crazy times for the Brooklyn Nets, uh, the team, for the fans overall. There's so many different things. Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Two completely combustible superstars in what they do off the court. The strip clubs are going to be loving it. The sage uh, burners are going to be loving it. Um, It's going to be a wild, wild season. Let's strap in.
2: Jack, how much do you think the fact that the Sixers could have acquired James Harden made Sean Marks kind of pull the trigger and just the extent of the Sixers possibly becoming a better team than the Nets?
3: I think that it certainly had to play some part, Nick. I think that we wouldn't have seen this happen. The reason why we didn't see it happen earlier, because I don't think Daryl Morey was willing to include him. Yeah. And I think we've seen Ben Zimmons show some growth, but I don't, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't ne- necessarily see what he is going to turn into as an offensive force. As a defensive force, he, he is steadily going to be at least a top 25 player in the NBA for the rest of his career. Can he assert himself to be, you know, what Giannis is as like a top five player? I'm not 100 percent sure. But the Brooklyn Nets giving up all those unprotected picks gave the gave Rafael Stone and the Houston Rockets front office the ability to control what they want to do yep. going forward. And you know they're they big winners in this. And they've made some some really nice moves in the off season uh, to Other rebuild. The fact
2: they didn't take on Jared Allen, which is just ext- it's just so strange to me. That is just uh, one of the strangest things. <laughs>
3: it's weird it's weird but you know christian christian wood and, Chris, and and jared allen would be the best like dynamic duo center other than like, and christian sub-
2: wood can play four he can yeah. play four like he's he's proven his mobility he can shoot the three ball like that's a dynamic big uh, big front court right there like that would be something that could be really really fun so uh, that was just a weird thing and maybe it's something to do with demarcus cousins but that'd be stupid in my opinion because what's well, cousins going to be there for a year like you know what i mean
3: yeah. Look, I I'm still processing it, Nick. There's a range of emotions going through our our heads and hearts and minds as Brooklyn Nets fans are losing two guys that we've become so attached to. And I know I and Eagle and Sarah Sarah Custod, uh, chatted a little bit about it on the Yes Network. But what you're getting in return. You know, if the Nets win at least one championship, it's worth it. You know, the Anthony Davis trade was worth giving up all the picks and, you know, that was criticized as being like, who were they competing against? They were competing against no one to make that trade, but they won a championship and winning validates everything. And if you want skip- a
2: top five, top seven player, you're going to have to give up the house. No one's giving you that shit for free. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. thats they're not just going to hand you over James Harden, even though he demanded a trade. He told the city, peace out on his last press conference. Yeah. The Nets still had to do all that to acquire him.
3: And look, if it uh, allows the Brooklyn Nets to retain Kevin Durant going forward, as Woj seemed to elude, it seemed to be like the key sort of factor. It's just like, you know what? We want Kevin Durant to finish his career as a Brooklyn Net. And if we acquire James Harden, there is a greater likelihood of that happening. And given by the cheeky smile that we got from him tonight, apparently, it seems to me that we could see Kevin Durant retire as a net. And, you know, I think he's going to age incredibly well. I think James Harden's going to age pretty damn well because these guys just know how to score and they're incredibly, incredibly intelligent. And you look at the, some of the smartest, yeah, skilled, skill and intelligence that makes up for any lack of athleticism that you have. You look at LeBron James and Chris Paul, guys who are aging superstars, but they are making up for it because their mind is so damn savvy uh, and their skill is out of this world. So Who knows? We could have, and obviously the contract, we got Kevin around. sorry, James Harden for another two years. I wonder if they're going to offer an extension of some sort. Joe Sy is certainly willing to pay. You know, we were questioning uh, before, you know, why isn't he giving Garrett Temple, you know, uh, 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 keeping him around and and trading him away. But now we see you trade for James Harden and have an inflated uh, luxury tax that few teams can rival. Uh, and the Houston Rockets got under the likes of Jacks. So good for Tillman, for Tata, for being able to save a couple of bucks that, uh, that douchebag Republican
2: yeah i mean like you said Jack. i'm gonna get
3: us another one star review on our nick sorry about that
2: (laughs) i'm not sure if anybody likes that guy but (laughs) um, on that note i mean it's just going to be a fun ride to enjoy watching these three superstars play and three amazing offensive players especially from this generation alone and kd and james harden possibly being two of the best offensive players of all time just going to sit here and enjoy it and enjoy this opportunity to watch this much talent on the floor because like you mentioned the previous show jack Like, there hasn't been a big three this talented in this era. You know what I mean? As good as some of the other big threes we saw, like, this is just the the next step up of just slightly better than probably the Golden State one. Obviously, they might have had a big four with Draymond, but still.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, as long as it doesn't go the way of the Los Angeles Lakers, every other big three has won a championship. So hopefully the odds are in our favor. But, Nick, I did want to finish off with this because I think we need to recognize the contribution of Jared Allen and Karis Avert to these franchises and to a lesser extent Rodion's I have like, and,
2: You know what's mad funny is I have like 10 Karis Avert rookie autograph cards and I probably have like three or four of Jared Allen, which I'll still keep, but it's just sad.
3: <laughs> it is sad. And, and DeAndre Jordan said this, he said on today's news, this is the tough part of the business that no one wants to experience. I wish those guys the best, especially, you know, it's the first time that they've been traded and such. He also said that he touched base with everyone that was traded and he wants to keep those conversations private. Um, Nick, what do you want to say to Jared Allen, Karis, your favorite Brooklyn Nets player since probably we've been recording this podcast? Um, what do you want to say to, to those dudes? I
2: mean, simple. Just thank you for all of the, the things that you've done for this franchise, all of the sweat you've put into this team and to get them to the spot that they're in now. And obviously getting the Nets to a respectable level and then taking it past that, you know what I mean? Before Jared Allen and Karis LeVert got here, the Nets were the laughing stock of the league. And these guys help get the team respect and make them, you know, a place that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving wanted to sign. And, like, at points, we thought, you know, Karis LeVert was a reason why Kevin Durant signed, given their past relationship and the uptake in his game. So just a big thank you to them. And like we mentioned on the previous show, I, I hope both guys have amazing careers and even kill my expectations. And they're both pretty high for both those guys.
3: Yeah, they really, really are. Um, words words can't do justice in terms of the immense amount of thanks and gratitude that, that I want to give to those guys. Antoine yep. Prince and Rodion Kouritz as well, but especially Karis uh, DeVert and Jared Allen. You know, what they have given to this franchise, you know, their heart, soul, body, and mind, you know, we can't thank them enough. And look, it, in it, all see, the memories
2: they've given you and I just alone, not even just like the podcast, but like, even just think about Jack, you and I watching game one of that Philadelphia Sixers win, you know, in the playoffs, like, that's that's a pretty cool thing. And that is a big thanks to Karis Levert and Jared Allen.
3: Yeah, they, they, they've they given us so much joy and so many things to look back on. There is nothing but fond memories associated with those two. There aren't two better blokes in the business right now that you're going to get, you know, in terms of what they give to a franchise, what they give to a city, what they give to their fans. You know, there is uh, um, Cleveland and Indiana. I hope you appreciate them as much as we do.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I'll say this too. Karis avert's 50-point game against Boston is probably maybe my favorite game ever. You know, for just like a single performance of somebody and what they did in that fourth quarter and that overtime, given the situation and all that stuff and where the Nets were at in the season too. So like you said, Jack, big thanks. You know, words can't explain how much they've meant to us and all the joy they've given us Nets fans in Nets Twitter and everybody. And I'm sure the organization appreciates them to the highest extent. Still a Spencer. Yes, It'll be interesting to see what happens with the Spencer situation though.
3: He Did you see him tweet out? Like he was just like, you know, coming out of the hyperbaric chamber or whatever, two hours later. And then, you know, I had to respond to him with the, the Goku tweet where he's in, you know, recovering after yep. being destroyed by freezer. I think it was or Cell, I can't remember. Yeah.
2: It's, it'll be interesting. I was going to actually tweet him and be like, you're going to get the Iron Man knee for the season. <laughs> like-
3: <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that, you know, Spencer and Jared Allen had, had a great relationship and reporting. Um, and, and I think, you know, like DeAndre Jordan did allude to, this is the worst, other than injuries, this is the worst part of the organization. It is yes. a business. You know, the, the NBA is a business. And unfortunately, this is what it takes um, to, to to find success. And uh, the goals of, of Sean Marks, and he thinks this is the best opportunity for the Brooklyn Nets to experience the ultimate success. Um, hard decisions are going to have to be made. I don't think there are any harder ones that will be made than the ones that were made to ta- today to acquire James Harden. Um, but... Ultimately, if we get the the first championship for the Brooklyn Nets and the New Jersey Nets, then it is all going to be worth it. But if we don't, um, then there's going to be a lot of sour grapes that um, myself and you are going to be eating because there's – there's such strong emotional ties to these guys. And, you know, we had one of our listeners sort of add us on Twitter as well, sort of allude to that too. You know, sometimes this is more than a sport. This is more than a game. It goes beyond that with the emotional ties and and connections that we feel to these players because they, like like we sort of said, they've given us so many memories and and so many games and so many things off the court. We watch them grow up yeah they they've gone from you know being teenagers to to men you know and 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 grown into not just great nba basketballers but great men and people yep. and um I'm thankful and they're always going to have a really really massive spot in my heart uh for the rest of their hopefully long and fruitful careers
2: 100% jack and I think they'll always when the Nets win a championship, they'll always be looked back and like, hey, these were the guys that helped us get to this point. So big shout out to them. And like you said, wish them the best. Excited for this next chapter of Nets basketball. Always a pleasure, Jack. And big thanks, to everybody, for listening.
3: As Steve Nash said, it's an interesting day.
1: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.